The Superpower Mamas channel is brought to you by Superpower Experts. Visit superpowerexperts.com to join the superpower universe and unlock your superpowers today. You're listening to Superpower Mamas, reclaiming the sacred journey of motherhood with Tatiana Berende. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Superpower Mamas podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berende, and today my guest is Hope Baker, and we're going to be discussing adoption through the eyes of a birth mother. I'm really excited to have Hope here with us today. Her story is powerful and transformative, and I can't wait for her to share some of it with you um, and to really go a little bit deeper into this world that I know so little about. Um, I feel like, you know, I'm, I get to I get to peek through a window and, and hopefully bring forward a voice that will be of value to some of you, um, and if not to you, directly to someone that you know, really, uh, this may this be a resource in that way. So, um, yeah, I want to... So we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Um, instead of reading you Hope's bio, I'm going to sort of let her introduce herself to you. So Hope, do you want to introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, absolutely. And Tatiana, thank you for having me here. I'm excited to chat. Um, so my name is Hope Baker. And as mentioned, I am a birth mother. Um, and for those who don't know what that means, because a lot of people don't, that means that I had a child that I placed for adoption. Um, I placed my son over eight years ago and, you know, our journeys don't start at a moment of trauma there, you know, my story is from when I was born to today, but the primary subject, you know, of my book and a lot of my work is around adoption and just being a birth mother and struggling with addiction and struggling with depression after placing my son for adoption and, you know, making choices to, to find my light. And to find my way out. And today I'm a homeowner, I'm a dog mom, I'm a cat mom now. I, you know, have a, a successful career and all the things that, you know, not that long ago had you said, I, I probably would have said, Are you sure? <laughs> um, but that's me. Awesome. Thank you so much for for sharing that. And I'm really looking forward to diving a little bit more deeply into your story as we go on here. We're not going to do that before the break because I don't like to interrupt that kind of thing. I really like to to hold that space sacred. Um, But I would love it if you would share with our listeners what your superpowers are before we go to break. My superpowers. So I would say that I am a very empathetic person And, you know, not just in my relationships with family, friends, but even in my career. And I, I definitely feel like being an empathetic person and and a caring person and being able to, you know, see all the sides and, and, you know, really understand that has, has been a huge superpower for me. Mm, Beautiful. Well, like I mentioned, we are going to go to a quick break before we dive into this amazing story. And thank you again so much for for opening yourself to the world to share it, because I know there's such medicine for others when we're willing to to share our journeys like that. Um, 
but so where can people go to find out more about you and your book and the work that you do in the world? Yeah. So you can go to my website, um, which I heavily simplified this year. My life is all about simplifying in 2022, uh, which is hopeobaker.com on Instagram, Facebook, it's Hope O Baker. So <laughs> you can you can find me in your with that. And then my book is available on Amazon, Target.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, local bookstores can can order it. So really, you know, any place you can buy a book, you can buy it online or you can request it from a local bookstore as well. And tell us the name of your book too. It's called Finding Hope, A Birth Mother's Journey uh, into the Light. Awesome. So we are talking with Hope Baker today about adoption through the eyes of a birth mother. And we're going to dive deep and I think it's going to be real good. So you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the Programs tab to get started today. All right, we are back. So I feel like there's so many different ways we could really dive into this story. And what feels most appropriate and aligned for me today is to really let you take the lead of, of of how you want to presence your story for everyone today or, or what you want to highlight um, as we, as we begin in this conversation today. Yeah, I, I, well, I appreciate that. That's not usually how it goes, but that's being, you know, very thoughtful <laughs> for your speaker. So, you know, I think that the big thing that I always try to get across whenever I'm speaking to somebody or I'm advocating for birth mothers is, you know, this deep feeling of shame, that I felt while I was pregnant, you know, during the whole adoption process and then post, you know, signing paperwork. It's this, this deep shame that birth mothers feel and, and, and the shame that's put on us based on, you know, maybe societal norms and what, what placing your child really means. And, and it's such an interesting thing because, you know, birth mothers are celebrated in a sense for, you know, providing a child for a family who either, you know, can't conceive, or maybe they're called to adoption for other reasons, but on the same token, we're we're shamed and we're kind of looked at as less than, and, you know, we don't really have a voice. So, you know, I've really dedicated a large part of my life post-placement and post kind of coming out of my own chaotic mess that was driven by shame Mm -hmm. um, to advocating for birth mothers and to speaking up to show that, you know, birth mothers are not bad. Like we're not this stereotypical drug addict, homeless person, because truly like that is, I used to get that all the time. Wait, you're a birth mother because people couldn't understand that, a you know, a, a seemingly normal person, you know, normal, I'm putting quotations up because what mm-hmm. is that even, um, right. but <laughs> you know, this like a highly functioning person is a birth mom. Like in their mind, those women are drug addicts and they're on the street and all these different pieces. And, you know, women come to adoption for many reasons, whether it's, they're not ready to parent, you know, crisis pregnancies, maybe they, they don't feel that being a parent is, you know, part of their plan and, and, and whatnot. But, 
you know, there's this whole shame around it that I'm, I'm always trying to displace and, and dispel that we don't have to be ashamed of ourselves and, and we shouldn't be shamed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as women, we get to encounter shame thrown at us in so many arenas. And, and like you said, this, which is part of why I wanted to have you on the show, um, because I feel like it's not something that we talk about enough. I think and and it's interesting. I, so I didn't read your book, but I did read through some of your blogs and and you stayed at one point that you, I mean, when you first found out that you were pregnant, you were more inclined towards abortion. And that interestingly enough, I mean, there's so much um, backlash happening right now, you know, from, on a federal level around, around this issue, but, um, and in different States, uh, but it does seem like there's sort of like the more conventionally accepted path. I mean, it really depends on what circles you travel in, right? If you travel in much more conservative circles, then the more acceptable path is to have children when you're married um, or give them up for adoption. Uh, and then, but if you're in a more liberal circle, it's, you know, abortion would be your option if you don't want to have a child, right? And And so what was that? process for you. I'm just so curious that led you away from abortion towards adoption instead. Yeah. So first off, I am very much pro-choice, right? I think that each individual has the right to choose what they want to do. In my case, when I found out I was pregnant, I was 20 weeks along. And though I would never, you know, push judgment on anybody else when I, I actually went to an abortion clinic. Um, my mom was battling breast cancer. And at the time, you know, interesting enough, I just had this conversation. I'm going to sidetrack. I had this conversation this morning with my boyfriend about how my family members always tell me what to do (laughs) in every aspect of life, right? They always tell me what to do. And so When I was 21, vulnerable in a crisis pregnancy, my mom, who, like I said, was struggling with breast cancer and, you know, there was all these layers of just stuff and she didn't feel like she could be helpful um, and necessarily supportive. And so in her mind, abortion was the, was the right choice. And so it was always, you know, it was just kind of like pushed that this is the right choice. And in my mind, I was like, I don't, I'm not ready to be a mom, you know, I'm in college, I don't have the finances for that. And, and I never really thought that being a mom in a conventional way was the path for me in the first mm-hmm. place. Um, so I did go to an abortion clinic. I drove down my sister who was actually trying to conceive at the time and struggling. She drove me down there um, mm-hmm. to an abortion clinic in Kansas city where they do, you know, what they would consider a, a later term abortion. Um, and, when the doctor in there, who was very kind and and empathetic, sympathetic, all the things, was walking through how the procedure would go, I had a moment where I just thought, I can't do this. I am halfway through, and I I can't make this decision for myself. I need to, you know, I'm going to carry this on. Did not know whether I was going to keep my son or place him for adoption. But I knew in that moment that abortion was just not an option. And for me and my own, you know, what I thought was right for myself. Mm -hmm. Which is so hugely important. And the fact that you were able to come to that moment at the clinic 
I think is a really powerful choice to have made. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of birth moms at this point. And I'm not alone in that, in that experience where women have gone to a clinic and then decided it wasn't for them. Um, you know, I mean, it just, it's, it's a personal choice that you don't know until you know. Right. And, and in full disclosure, I did have an abortion when I was 17 and it was a very early term five weeks along. So completely different scenarios. Um, right. I mean, (laughs) completely Mm -hmm. different scenarios. So I, you know, clearly did not, you know, take the necessary steps from when I was 17 to when I was 21, um, to not let myself fall into that again. But yeah, so I am pro-choice, but in that moment, it was not the right decision for me. And you know what, in the end, I am glad that my son exists. And I am so thankful that I made that decision in that moment that he should be born because he's wonderful. And although there has been so much trauma, you know, post making the decision to place him for adoption. And it has been, you know, a challenge every single day. You know, I'm so glad he was born. He's an awesome kid. right? So you have a relationship with him still? I do. So it is an open adoption. So I'm actually going to see him in two weeks. Um, I get to see him two to three times a year. We do, you know, in, in most adoptions now, there's a, a post contact contract that's put together. So in our agreement, I get to see him two to three times a year. Um, and I do, I fly out there and visit him and I actually stay with him now. (laughs) There was a time about a year and a half ago when he asked, I used to stay at Airbnbs and hotels and he asked if I could have a sleepover with him and sleep there. Mm -hmm. And that was a pretty, you know, incredible special moment. And I've stayed with them ever since when I go visit. And how is that for you and for, for everyone? I I could imagine that could go a number of different ways for (laughs) everyone involved. Oh yes. (laughs) That's a, that's a very valid statement. So, you know, it is for me, I always am so scared and nervous before I go there. I, you know, contemplate, whether I should go or not every single time, even though I want to be there, I always have to like figure out in my head, am I emotionally available enough to be in his space? Like, can I give him what he deserves in the attention and the, you know, mental capacity that's needed to go to those visits when I, when I go, um, because it takes a lot. I mean, it's, you know, I'm looking at my son, who I know very, I mean, I know him, but I very know very little about him. Um, and he's part of me, yet he's not, right? He exists mm-hmm. in a completely different world than me. So I really do have to be in the right emotional state when I'm there and I have to make mm-hmm. every conscious effort to do so. And it's interesting because on my last visit, his mom, um, I did place him with a single mom. So his mom and I were at the beach and, you know, I was digging the sand with him for hours and then we let him play and her and I were talking and I asked her, if she, you know, does she ever get nervous before I come? You know, I'm thinking I'm the one nervous and she's like, absolutely. <laughs> right? mm. like, 
I, she's nervous too, right? Is what am I going to think of her parenting and all these different things? And am I in, an, in the right emotional mindset and, and all these things. So we're both nervous. We're both anxious, but when we get there, you know, it's all about our son and, you know, giving him what he needs and being present. And, you know, so it's, it's wonderful, but, oh gosh. I mean, when I, the first five years of his life, when I would visit after I would go home, I wasn't able to function in my normal manner for sometimes weeks. It just was so challenging, you know, but as he's gotten older and as I've grown and healed and and learned and learned how to process in healthy ways, I mean, things have definitely gotten, you could say easier or just more manageable is probably the better word. It's and I mean, do you have any sense on like how he understands your role in his life or yeah? So, you know, somebody I hope he'll want to share his story, but you know, from what I I feel safe sharing for him is that he does know that I'm his birth mom. He knows that he came from my stomach, he knows that you know my family is Baker family. Um I think he could tell you the names of all of my siblings, my parents, <laughs> et cetera. So, you know, he's he's very aware and his mom has done a really great job of making sure that she was educated and that, you know, she was counseled in the right way to handle those, those conversations. Um, a lot of times in adoption, and this is changing as things evolve, but, you know, kids aren't told. And sometimes kids aren't told their entire life until they, you know, find a document in the closet someday. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard stories of kids who've needed medical care or blood transfusions, and that's how they find out they're adopted. So, you know, in our story, in our situation, that we never wanted that to be the case. So he's always known and he, you know, has space to ask questions and you know, if he's curious about things, he can ask me or, you know, ask his mom and she can ask me. So it's always been super open with him on who I am. I can understand why that would require a tremendous amount of emotional capacity on your part to have a little one ask because they're totally unfiltered. You know, when they're young, they'll ask you all sorts of questions that someone with a little bit more emotional maturity wouldn't, but it's, it's innocent. And yet could be, you know, a, quite a challenge to walk. Like, how do I answer some of these questions? Right. Absolutely. I mean, that is one of the most beautiful thing about children that I wish, I wish that we didn't lose that ability. Of course, it's good to filter things at times, but that's one quality that kids have that I wish we all carry to our adulthood of being comfortable and vulnerable, vulnerable enough to ask the questions that you really want to know the answers to, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just ask questions. So yeah, it is a challenge, but I think that, you know, that's when I made the decision to place him, he had no choice in that, right? Mm-hmm. He had no say, no choice. He was just, he was, you know, and just, he was passed over uh, to his mom and, you know, obviously there's more to it than that, but in the simplest terms, he was passed over at, you know, he had no choice, no, no say, no, no opinion on it. So now, I mean, I made that choice for him. That's my doing. So I have to live in the responsibility of, I am going to have to answer hard, unfiltered questions. And I have to be okay with that because it, it wasn't his choice to be put in this scenario. And, 
in this situation. So, you know, I, I think when you sign up for adoption and the adoptive parents as well, we all have to be comfortable knowing that our kids did not make this choice. We made it for them. So we have to sit and be able to, you know, help them process their emotions and help them process their feelings, whatever they may be. I mean, you know, if my son's feelings are happy, wonderful. If they're angry, I understand if they're sad, if they're whatever they are. I mean, I have to, I have to live with that and work through it with him and let him guide the way. And I'm sure it'll change and evolve over time too, and probably already has. For sure. For sure. I mean, it's interesting (laughs) when I, when I go and I see him now that he's a little bit more mature and, you know, he's, he's a smart kid. He's super smart and he's super mature for his age. But when we're there and and we both will notice things about each other that the, that the other one does and, and we call it out to each other. And, and he says it to me and I say it to him, and it's just so interesting to see him tie those two, two things together. Like, Oh, I laugh like that sometimes, or, Oh, this is a type of food that I love too, or this is what I like to do and tying it back to me and me tying it to him. It's, it's super interesting to hear him do it as he gets older. Hmm. Wow. Um, I'm just like feeling into what that experience must be like, because I have no, no context for it. Um, now, when you were pregnant with him, you lived with the birth mother. How did that, I mean, with the birth mother, with his adopted mom, um, how, how did that come to be? Like, how did you find her? How did you, how did you make that decision? So I, <laughs> I was searching all things adoption on Google, right? I was looking at different profile books, which is what um, prospective adoptive parents put together to just showcase who they are as a person, who they, you know, will be as a parent. And I was looking on Google and her profile book, her adoption book showed up on the side of Google, (laughs) like an ad. And I looked into it and I, you know, I looked at it and I thought reading every single page, I just thought, this is who I want to be when I'm older. Like this is who mm. I would want to be when I'm when I'm a grown up. <laughs> right? So I got such a great energy from her, and I remember when I emailed her, my son was kicking in my stomach, and I wrote that in the email to her. I wrote that you know he's kicking, and it's making me feel like you know, this is a sign or or whatever, you know, I said, but I, I did write that to her and, and we talk about it sometimes. Um, so I went out to visit her shortly after that. I, you know, corresponded with her lawyer a little bit just to make sure she was a real person, went out to visit her and, and it really just clicked. I mean, I, I felt such a warmth from her from the moment I got off the plane and saw her. And, you know, there was a special moment when I was there and, we had mentioned that we hadn't had time to do something we wanted to do. And I remember looking at her saying, I'll be back. You know, this is, I'll be back. And I, you know, we went to the beach and I imagined my son really living that life. Like this is going to be his life. This is going to be, you know, his dog and, and all the things. And I, I just felt so safe with her that I thought my son would feel the same. Um, And, you know, kind of tying it back to the shame part in the beginning 
I hid that I was pregnant. So my very close friends and my immediate family knew, but nobody else. So mm-hmm. I, when I really started to show, wanted to leave Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you whose idea it was. I can't remember if it was my mom's, if it was her, me, whose it was, but we decided that I would go live with her for the last couple of months. And, you know, we did prenatal yoga together and went on walks every day. And, and I really got to know her. And, you know, I think that in turn, my son knew her voice and, and all of mm-hmm. these things. So it was great to get to know her. I mean, it's super challenging, you know, thinking back to it, it's, it was beautiful at the time and it still is beautiful, but there's, you know, certain feelings that I have about it now. Um, not negative, just, you know, just changing thoughts, right. We all evolve and we all change. So, but yeah, so I did end up living with her and, you know, I, I think it was, it was good to get to know her and know who my son was going to be raised by. Was she at the birth? She was. So picture this. Um, I'm, you know, laying in the bed in the stirrups. I have her on the left side, holding one of my legs up. I have my mom on the right side, holding my other leg up. And then I have her mom, who is my son's grandma, um, taking pictures. (laughs) Oh, you got it. You've got the daughters and their moms, four women all in one room, you know, just really, you know, quite, quite the experience for all of us, <laughs> I think. Mm. but yeah, she was at the birth and, you know, one of the, the moments I struggle with and, you know, any moms know this, right. How important it is after the baby is born to have skin on skin contact. Mm-hmm. And in the hospital, you know, she, she did that. So my son went directly to her chest and, you know, I wanted her to be able to experience as much as she could, although not pregnant. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted her to be able to experience those things. And, you know, at the time it was kind of suggested that that was good for their bonding. Um, So watching that moment and of, of that, right. Like the magnitude of how important that moment is and me not having that moment. It's something I've really struggled with in the last eight years of just, you know, wondering, like, I wonder what my son was thinking, right. Cause you read the studies on babies who are put in the NICU right when they're born and, and sometimes they have attachment issues and, and it can be led to, you know, abandonment issues. And it's not that they're being abandoned, but being in an incubator rather than on your, mother's chest or with that skin to skin contact or, you know, being fed by the mom is, can be damaging. So, you know, I've, I've, I think about that a lot and what that will mean for my son and and what that moment, the moment lost meant for me. Um, and, you know, I think the given that we have an open adoption and he's open to ask questions, I don't think it'll be as strong of a pain point. Um, but I do, I, I think about that moment all the time, right. Cause any mom remembers back to that, to that first moment where they held their mm-hmm. child and, you know, I don't have that moment. And so it's, it's a big struggle of mine and a big struggle for a lot of birth moms who, you know, didn't take those, you know, that first moment or, you know, even the first couple hours, I didn't actually hold my son till the next day. Um, although he was in the room with me and I was there, I didn't, I didn't 
holds him to the next day. So, you know, they're just those are tough moments to think back on. Do you think that it would have been harder for you to give him up if you had had those moments? I mean, it's really next to impossible to know, but. Um, I think that part of some of the feelings I have about being so close to his mom before he was born is that I honestly would have never wanted to break her heart. And Mm -hmm. so I think in those moments when I didn't ask to hold him and I didn't ask to have him on my chest first, a lot of those were because I wanted her to have what she wanted. And I wanted her Mm -hmm. to not be scared. I was going to change my mind. So, you know, it kind of goes back to when I said, my family's always telling me what to do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, I don't advocate for myself as much as I should. And and I'm working on that in my adult life, right? Like adult post-placement life um, to really learn to advocate for myself better because had I spoken up and asked for those things, I'm sure I could have had them. Um, But would it have caused me to change my mind? I don't know. I, I really, I can't say whether it would have or not, but I can tell you that I would never have wanted to break your heart. I mean, I couldn't, we were so close. She was like a mother figure to me. I wouldn't have wanted to, to hurt her. Hmm. It's amazing how we're, it's a, it's a, something I see a lot where women were more likely and willing to break our own hearts than someone else's. Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, I think that happens in our daily lives. You know, my, my boyfriend has, has children. And so I find myself a lot of times sacrificing what I need and in, in, you know, whether it's just to have a second of downtime or it's just anything like I end up sacrificing my own needs for them. And here's the deal though. I wouldn't want it any other way. So I think we're like, <laughs> we're hardwired, right. To be nurturers and to be givers and to be, you know, to, to play that role. And I've definitely noticed in my, you know, now that I have three children around me all the time, all I want to do is give. That's it. I mean, I just want to give, 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 and and not even think about what I want and what I need. And, and I do. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it's ingrained at least in me um, for sure. And I do, I think back to those moments of giving what I needed in the hospital and I don't know. We don't, we don't always speak up for ourselves. We don't always advocate at least, you know, from my experience and other birth mothers that I spoke to. And once again, if we, we can tie it back to the shame, right? We, do we feel like we deserve a voice birth mothers and expectant moms when we're pregnant, we're in the, the delivery room. Absolutely not. Nor is there space provided by professionals and, and, you know, typically, anybody involved to give us that. I mean, we're, gosh, at times, you know, we're, we looked at as a vessel and I felt like that all the time. I felt like I was just like the vessel carrying somebody else's child that wasn't even mine. Um, And not that my son's mom did that to me, but just the entire industry in itself. Like it felt very, you know, that I was, the second my son was born, I was dispensable. In fact, my lawyer said that. She said, you had the baby, you did hear what you came to do, go home to Minnesota. When I wasn't ready to leave California and I wasn't ready to leave my son, mm-hmm. I wanted more time with him. And she told me to get out. I did what I was here to do. It's time to go. 
I mean, those are words that she used, which is, you know, I mean, it's troubling. It's, but that's how birth mothers are spoken to. I mean, that's how we're treated, which is not, not in all cases, some professionals, some lawyers and agencies are different, but in the majority of every instance of every birth mother, I know we're not treated, you know, with the respect and the dignity that a human being is deserved. So it's tough. If there um, is someone out there right now who's listening to this, who is in a position where they're, they're, they've made the decision to put their child up for adoption, what would you say to them? What do you feel like is something that they really need to hear? Before they've actually placed their mm-hmm. child? Ooh, I would say get educated on everything you possibly can. And and the first step to that is, are there resources available for you to parent? A lot of times when you talk to women and why they place, it's because they didn't have financial resources, right? So, you know, are there resources available in your city, your county, your state that are available to support you to parent? Step number one, because the majority of women I talk to, that's why they place is because they don't have the financial financial you know, stability that they feel they need to raise a child. So that's always step number one. And step number two is this is a lifelong decision you're making, not just for yourself, but for your, for your child. Um, you don't want to make permanent decisions on a temporary, you know, a temporary stand. If you, you know, if the, per- if you're not ready to parent and you don't feel like you want to be a parent, that's one thing. But if you feel like, you're in a, a really bad relationship or financial standing. I mean, those are temporary things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to make a lifelong decision based on something that you can change if you want a parent. I mean, you know, looking back, like I did the best I could with the information I had at the time. I don't regret my decision, but I think had I known what my life was going to look like, I, I you know, in retrospect, I would have, I definitely would have made decisions. I would have. What would those decisions have been? I'm saying the thing you're not supposed to say. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you're not supposed to say these things. But if if I if I had looked at if I had known what my life was going to look like, I wouldn't have placed my son for adoption. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have. Um, I couldn't see past my, you know low financial setting and my being in college and all these different pieces and not being ready. Um, you know, I, I couldn't see past all that. So who's ready to be a parent? I mean, really right. nobody's ever ready, but if you think you're ready, you're not ready. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So I, I couldn't see past all that. So, you know, I, you know, looking back now, it's, it's such a challenge and especially for the way I feel about being in my, you know, my boyfriend's kids' life. They're with us basically 50% of the time. And, you know, I was saying at dinner the other night and it was, it was interesting to hear it out loud, me saying it out loud for the first time to another human, not thinking it, but I genuinely feel like one of my purposes in life was to be a mother and be in whether it's being in a motherly figure, like I play with my partner's kids or whatnot, but to come to that conclusion, you know, eight years too late, it's, it's crappy, (laughs) 
<laughs> right? But it's it's just so interesting because I feel such purpose, you know, being in the position that I'm in now, being kind of like that bonus person. Um, it's it's interesting to to feel that and to feel like that is part of my purpose and you know, it took me longer to find out. And interesting enough, my son's mom, she waited till she was, um, you know, older in life to have kids too. She didn't think that she, you know, wanted children or that was the course for her life or, you know, I'm sure there's more reasons that she could share at some point, but if she ever chooses to, but she waited till later on. And, and it's interesting that now at 30, I'm realizing, wow, like I have so much love and, and so much nurturing to give that, I want this to be a part of my life. Like I, I want to be play that, be in that motherly role. Hmm. That's powerful to come to. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that, you know, as you come to realizations in your life and you evolve, you have to work through the things that happen to get you there. Right. So um, I'm a constant, I always say I'm a constant work in progress. I'm constantly evolving. I think we all are, but that's mm-hmm. always been my thing. I'm a work in progress. Bear with me. <laughs> well, I don't think there's any forgiveness needed. We are all works in progress. That's for sure. Um, what would you say as we're wrapping up here today um, is the biggest thing that you want people to take away from your story? You know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, and first off in advocating for birth mothers that we're so worthy and deserving of respect and love and our voices are so important to be heard in the adoption world. And, you know, even outside of the adoption world, nobody should have to live in shame, regardless of choices you've made or, you know, what quote unquote category you sit in. Um so that's first and foremost. But secondly, that, gosh, you know, the things can change in a second. I, five years ago, I was struggling with depression and addiction and, and not sure how to come out of it. And, you know, today my life is completely different and, and I, and I live for the most part in a joyous state and that's, it wasn't easy to get there. <laughs> I have to make a conscious choice every day to make decisions to, you know, put myself to ensure that I stay in that state and and keeping a more positive attitude in life. But life can change and it can change fast. And if you want something different in your life, you know, it's, it's achievable. It's hard work, but it is achievable. Mm. Hope, I just really want to honor you and thank you so much for um, coming and taking the time out of your day to be with us here like this today. I really have appreciated getting to talk with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Tatiana. I loved it too. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I know you know someone uh, who could use this, so please, please, please share it out. And if you have not yet, come to check us out at superpowerexperts.com. Please do so. Come and peruse the membership. We've got a lot of amazing offerings going on over there. And if you are ready to fully step into your superpowers, we have some 
really amazing programs for people who are wanting to go into a deep dive either on their own to up-level their lives or as a couple. I'm really stoked about our coupling program and what I'm seeing um, as the results, not only in my own life, but in our clients is a really powerful, powerful thing. So go and check that out over at superpowerexperts.com. And until next time, reclaim your parenting journey as a sacred one for yourself, for your children, and for the world. Many blessings. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.